Everybody, welcome to another episode of That's So Quetch, where we talk about dating, Torah, and everything in between. This is part two of the Aliyah series. I will be interviewing my friends Sarah Kirshner and Liel Barth. Um, Sarah, I know from Houston, Texas, and Liel, I recently met through a friend, and we had a really great conversation. We talk about all kinds of things from what the what social life has been like in Israel in response to the coronavirus and um, just different practical advice for you guys, and there are a lot of different personalities here, and it's really interesting to see what everyone has to say. So I hope that you enjoy part two, and stay tuned for part three. I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your day. So Sarah made Aliyah when I was still in college, and I wanted to reconnect with her and hear more about her story and her life in Nahlaot now since her Aliyah, and also hopefully give you guys some insight, as with the other two interviews that we've had so far. So just a first logistical question for Sarah, when did you move, what place were you at in life, and how long have you been living there now, and where? So I moved back in 2015 after high school. I was not ready for college and seminary was not for me. So I figured army, why not? Through Aliyah, I did Machal, which is a volunteer service. Um, it was a year and a half instead of three years. And so like when I was doing the process and all that, I was kind of house jumping until I found uh, a good place. And I landed on Beirut Yitzchak, which is a kibbutz really close to the airport, which is really central in location, which was really important to me at the time. Um, and I was there for my whole army service. And then I moved to Givat Shmuel, uh, which is kind of where Bar Ilan is. And then I moved to Jerusalem and now I'm here in Nachlot. Amazing. So were you in, what prompted your move to Givat Shmuel? Like, was, like, why did you move there after the army? So I was really lucky and through connections, because everything is through connections in this country, um, I was actually able to get an internship at Intel. Uh, Intel was is in oh, Petah Tikva. Wow. And so Givach Mool is pretty close to there. And uh, like I wanted to move to Jerusalem right away, but I just couldn't pass up the opportunity. <laughs> That's amazing. So did you, how long were you living in Givach Mool? So I was there for about two years because I did my internship at Intel, which was like eight months. And then I did a course on uh, graphic design, that, which was in also like central Israel. So while I was there, it just made more sense to be in Givachwell. And then like after I got married, uh, I wanted to be in Jerusalem. <laughs> so what attracted you about the land of Israel in the first place? And why did you want to move? Well, like I said before, like college really wasn't for me and seminary that like all my friends were going. So Israel seemed like, oh, it's just where the, it's just where to be after high school. Um, mm -hmm. And like, I mean, growing up, you you remember like Baron, everything was very Zionistic and uh, like there was always like something there with Israel. 
and I had visited a couple mm-hmm. times and I knew that if I went, I wouldn't be alone because I have family and everything. So I decided yeah, it sure. was like, it was uh, a jump into not in like, and it was a very dramatic change, but mm-hmm. it was some, it was somewhere where I knew that I had family and that someone could catch me if I fell. So that was the initial appeal. Yeah. Was it hard to kind of like jump around in the beginning? It was, especially because my Hebrew was so bad. Um, but luckily there's apps like Move It and everything that tell you about public transportation. Because like you remember back in Houston, there's like no, like nobody really takes public transportation. But here it's like the only way to get around unless you're lucky enough to have a car. But even then parking is a nightmare. And so yeah, I had to totally. figure all of that out on my own in Hebrew. It was, at first it was horrendous, but everybody wants to help you. If they see a lost, like, little girl walking around very confused, somebody will come up and eventually be like, hi, do you need directions? And so that's that good. was nice. Yeah. That's really nice. Yeah, I'm sure that's, like, must have been difficult coming from Houston where it was just, like, car, place, car, place, and that was it. Yeah. <laughs> so. I know how navigating public transit can be. I feel like, you know, with New York, it's like kind of a similar system. So it is, except you guys don't that, have like you the can gross... look on the app. And... Yeah. But like the Tachanam Merkazit in Tel Aviv, those who've been know it is a nightmare. And that was one of the first oh central bus stations I had to in encounter. South Tel Aviv? Yes. Is oh it my the God. one in South Tel Aviv? It is. It's the one that so you're thinking of that's amazing and a nightmare. <laughs> It's so scary. I, I like once ended up there because I was like traveling back from Arad and like the girls that I was with were like my campers and they were like, Rebecca, like, are you sure you want to go to that one? Like, it's really scary. And I'm like, this is what my map says, like, whatever. And then yeah. I get there and I'm like, this is it was kind of like a horror movie in, in real life, that yes. station. And I was also on the last bus and and I couldn't find it for a bit. And like, oh thank God. God, you know how stories go. Somehow I found it in the end. But like, yeah. You know, the architecture there is supposedly like meant to confuse people. <laughs> Have you ever read it's, about it? I haven't read anything about it, but I know that like, it's just, I avoid it at all costs. Like I was yeah. once offered a position where like, it would mean that I had to go through that bus station every day. And I said, no, like on just that basis alone. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so funny. I mean, it's, it would impact your quality of life. So I get it. A hundred percent. Anyways, back to the Aliyah question. What are three things you wish you knew that you now know about living in Israel? Uh, that yeah. I actually like vegetables because they have a flavor oh. here. It's amazing. Like I used to despise cucumber because it was just crunchy water in America. And here it actually tastes like cucumber. <laughs> yeah. And so Israeli oh salad is lit here. <laughs> yeah. The third one is it's harder to keep Shabbat here than it is in America. Because I do miss Sundays a lot. (laughs) Like, if you don't have Sunday, you no longer have a day to just veg in front of the TV. And sometimes you kind of just need that. You want to catch up on your shows. You want to listen to just music and clean the house and do all the laundry and all of that. And you don't really have a day to do that, that you don't also work. And Shabbat, you don't want to, like, fold laundry and do that on Shabbat. It's not in the spirit of Shabbat. One thing that I love about living in Achalot is Chagim, because just every, like Sukkot, there's like random Sukkahs everywhere. During Purim, it's a wild party. Granted, this year was different because of Corona, and I kind of feel cheated. <laughs> mm. But I, like, it's, 
it's a massive Jewish community where everyone is just like having fun and it's a good time. Yeah, that's such a like beautiful thing to have like the whole it's kind of like the way in America Christian holidays are like you feel like the whole world's kind of doing it, but for exactly. Jewish holidays. Like you don't realize how much that feeling is important. Like what would be an ideal day spent pre-corona times for you in Nahlaot? Ooh, an ideal day. Probably not have work. <laughs> <laughs> for starters. No worries. Yes. Uh, um, probably going to the park because I live really close to Gunsacher and kind of just chilling there and then walking up to Cinema City, seeing a movie, maybe getting sushi with a friend. And then at night going to one of the cool bars that's around. Uh, there's some really cool ones in the Shook and I'm starting to find the cool ones in uh, on Benny Huda. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's all in like walking distance of each other. Yeah, I wouldn't have to take a bus on any of that. (laughs) Great. Like prime location living in Nahlaot. Yeah, well, you pay for the location, really. Yeah. Do you find it difficult like budgeting with your job and with your apartment? Um, I'm lucky enough that budgeting kind of comes easy to me. but, But like I do only live in a one bedroom one living room kitchen combo ever like that's it <laughs> yeah so that definitely helps the cost i'm sure yeah <laughs> how are israeli people different for you than american people what's their humor um, their culture they'll talk shit about you to your face but they'll also have your back when it matters good that's well said thank you um, and yeah, and they also really love Friends. Really? Like the TV show. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I was like, that's sweet. <laughs> no, but they, yeah, they love the TV show Friends. Um, it's kind of hilarious. So I know we're 10 minutes in, but somehow I managed not to ask Sarah what she's up to right now in life. So here's her answer. Um, I'm working at a nonprofit that helps soldiers. It's called Yisharlachel. Um, and I've been there for, I think, around 10 months now. I am an administrative assistant, and I also do a lot of their marketing and graphics and uh, website maintenance. Now for some handy-dandy tips from Sarah. Just practical tips. Bring all of the papers everywhere. Like, even if you think you may not need it, bring it anyway. It's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. (laughs) Yeah. So you're saying like, if you're headed to the bureaucracy to do something, like you should have everything on you. Yes. Just have a folder, have copies of everything. Just make sure you have all your documents together because nothing's worse than standing in line after making an appointment and making sure you get there. And then them being like, actually, you need to go home because you don't have the right papers. If you're used to Amazon one day shipping, I'm so sorry because we don't have that. (laughs) oh my gosh so how do you like I mean it's fine like you just get stuff in real life yeah exactly but like I like I see all of these things that I could buy on the internet and then just I don't trust the mail system to get it to me the trick is knowing where to buy things because some things look cheap and it just made so cheaply that it's not gonna last four wears 
I often hear this when discussing Aliyah, that people say life is hard there, but it's worth it. And I was wondering if you have any thoughts on that. Life is hard, but it is what you make of it. Like if you find your community, if you find your friends, it's for sure worth it. You need to be able to really just appreciate being here and being with surrounded in the Jewish homeland and stuff, which is does make an impact. Even if you're not too religious, there's something about being in Israel that connects everyone and it's really nice. And within that connection, you can deal with all the bureaucratical stuff with all like things being, sometimes things are way too expensive, like electronics are really expensive here, but it's, it's worth it if you are the type of person to want to be with, to want to be in a community. Yeah, like, you know how they say that misery loves company? Yeah. So the company becomes camaraderie, and it's great. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you can, you're also, you know, not with your family all the time, so I'm sure, like, you develop friend, family feeling, like, friendships. Yes. I have a lot of friends who I would consider family at this point. <laughs> so I'd love to hear more about your Aliax, uh, sorry. I'd love to hear more about your army experience and also how you met your husband. I know you mentioned that you met him there, I believe. Uh, yeah, I met my husband when I was living in Beirut Yitzchak. So I met him and initially I, like we became friends. And I wasn't going to go out with him because we were living on the same kibbutz and that could have ended badly. So like I knew he liked me, but I kind of... Eh, I. I acknowledged it, but I was like, we're just going to be friends. That's going to be fine, right? <laughs> and then... Oh, harsh. <laughs> yeah, like, it. I mean, because I knew he liked me, I kind of sat down with him and I was like, okay, you're going to really get to know me as friends. And if you still like me after this, maybe I'll give you a shot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if he likes you as friends, that means like he... That means he sees like your your full self. Well, I was still in Tiranut when he asked me out initially. Tiernut is basic training. Um, mm. And so I wasn't allowed my phone a lot of the time. So I think it was, it must have been, I think, Motsash, because I still had my phone that night. Mm-hmm. And I was speaking to him and I explained that I just had like a horrible experience with kitchen duty and had to do a mountain of dishes and I was just exhausted. And he was laughing at me because he had just finished basic... I think actually he finished advanced training at that point and was out with his Mm -hmm. friends drinking. And then I shut my phone off, go to sleep. I wake up and there's like a bunch of messages from him saying that like he likes me and that like, cause I had explained to him that I don't shit where I eat, but he said that he's, he's shooting a shot anyway. And yeah. And I didn't know how to respond to it. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I just didn't, but it was on. Oh my gosh. And so it was like, he saw that it was on that, like I read it and then my commanders had to take my phone. So I didn't get to reply at all until the next morning. Um, and then, and when I did reply, I told him that I was flattered, but I still wanted to just be friends and I still feel really bad about that. I because, guess at that point, uh, you probably assumed, you like, you know, she didn't answer for the whole night. Like, there's, like, what are my chances here? <laughs> yeah, but he was also, like, very, like, he he told me, 
afterwards that he was like shutting his phone off and on again not checking it checking it again and like it was kind of hell and i feel very bad about it <laughs> right it's like when you send one of those texts like you you know yeah you hope you'll get an answer soon <laughs> but like one thing i do have to say is like um so that that week when i came back after um after that it was i had just finished basic training and then my mom was also in town and I think we bought like an Ikea furniture set and I want to know if anyone was, anyone was around to help me build it. And I messaged the group and uh, Naf said that he would be able to come and help. And he was really nice. He pretended like he, like it never happened. We were back to just being friends. And it was just like, I was kind of really taken aback because I don't know, like not just to shit on other guys, but like, if you reject someone, a lot of the time they'll just be like, they'll be cold or they're not going to talk to you or something. So I was really impressed with the fact that he was like, we can still just be friends. Like you said, it's all good. And that like later that night, I was just thinking, I'm like, maybe we could be together. And I think like a few days later, I sent him a message and I was just like, hey, so I think we could give it a shot, but we have to take it slow. And I think we even like kept it secret from a lot of our friends on the kibbutz, or at least we attempted to for a while. It lasted, mm-hmm. like I think, a month. But in like army time, that's like two weeks because I think we saw each other twice in that month. And wow. yeah, it was... And the rest is kind of history. We've been together ever since. Got married almost a year ago. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. It was so great to hear about how you've been and the various things that you have shared in this session. And I wish you the best of luck in weathering out the storm of the virus. You too. Remember to wear a mask (laughs) and wash your hands. (laughs) That's all you can do. Yep. And on that note, let's get into the second interview with Liel Barth. Hey, everybody. This is my friend, Liel Barth. We recently connected through my friend from college, Avi Adler, and she is going to tell us all about her Aliyah journey. And we had such a great conversation the other day. So I'm really excited to have her here and give her two cents. So hello, Liel. Hi. How are you doing? Good. How's your day going so far? Your evening, actually. True time difference. It's good. I'm so pumped about this. Yeah, I'm I'm so pumped you're pumped because we'll have plenty to chat about. So anyways, let's just start with logistics. I'm going to just, you know, throw these questions off just so that we know some background info. So first of all, when did you move and what place were you at in life when you moved? Um, I technically made Aliyah in 2016, but I've been in Israel since 2014. And then I graduated high school in 2014, then did a year in seminary here. And Honestly, I had no intention whatsoever of moving to Israel. I was supposed to go to University of Maryland. Um, And then I went to a seminary called Harova, which is really, really known for pushing Zionism, which I totally didn't know going in. And I guess um, I was, some would say brainwashed, some would say inspired. But by the end of the year, I just like really, really wanted to be here for a ton of different reasons. And I went back home over the summer and I decided to do Shana Bed at Harova. And then by the end of Shana Bed, I was really, really set on staying here. Um, and then, so yeah, after seminary, I did Chiru Lumi. And then after that, I came back and I made official Aliyah in 2016. 
where have you been from 2016 up until now? Um, I've been living in Givachmuel, which has a huge Anglo community. And I'm living here because Bar-Ilan University is here. And I've been, I'm finishing up college this week, actually. So it's really exciting. Um, oh my God, Masalto. Thank you. Um, so yeah, I've been in Givachmuel, living amongst this amazing community and then moving to Jerusalem next week. So we'll see where that takes me. That's really, really exciting. I'm excited to be talking to you like in the state of transition for you right now. It's like you're ending one chapter and opening another. Yeah, it's so exciting, especially because I've been here so long and transition phases can usually be so like intimidating. And yeah. I'm just purely excited about it to see what's going to come. Yeah. So what were you studying in? Uh, you mentioned it's bar right? Yeah. So what were you studying in bar and... What's your plan for Jerusalem? Where are you headed? I studied psychology and I probably want to go down that route. I kind of figured I should give myself a little bit of a summer since I'm finishing up school. So I'm going to go take a little break. And then in a couple of weeks from now, I'll kind of research my options and see what direction psychology could take me in. Um, hopefully find a job working with people and I kind of think that right this second, I'm in a place where I'm very happy not knowing what I'm doing next, because it just seems like there's a lot of potential to figure out what my options are. Um, And yeah, I'm just, I'm just really, I'm more excited to do like the research before the job search. See what's out there. Your attitude is definitely not like the typical attitude. So, you know, like the job search is grueling. So I know I'm excited. people think it's so weird that I've been saying this because I'm just really not a school person. So I'm just excited to get out and actually be more active. Like school just has always felt really passive to me and to actually get out there and feel like, wow, I can do something with that now is really, really exciting to me. Yeah, I mean, it's all how you look at it and how you take it. And your perspective is one that's really going to set you up for success. Thanks. So why did Liel move to Israel? What exactly attracted her about the land? Why I moved to Israel is such an interesting question to me because I think that the reasons I connect to Israel now are very different from the reasons that I connected to it when I moved here. As in, yeah, honestly, I would say Haroba kind of brainwashed me, but I, I say that in a positive way because I'm really happy with where that led me and I like, I'm very happy with the life choice to make Aliyah. Um, mm-hmm. Harova definitely pushed the religious ideology aspect, which I do still very strongly believe in, that it feels really significant for me as a Jew to be here, especially next week's Tisha B'Av, and which is like the commemoration of exile. And after 2000 years, the fact that I could be here, that's really, really significant to me. Um, and just a lot of religious talk around it, and that still really speaks to me. I think that over time, I've become not less passionate in that sense about that ideology, but more, um, it's definitely become a little bit more toned down and the ideology now has become more historically based, I guess. Um, And also more just the fact that I love my life here, as in I love the culture here. I love the people here. I love how I feel about myself here, who I feel like I am here. And I think that over time, it's kind of veered away from like the straight up ideology and 
become more about my personal experiences in in Israel. And like, that's why I love it so much now. Leah, I want to ask you about what coronavirus has been like in Israel for you and kind of like how your social life has been recently. I know you guys are going into a second quarantine, if I'm not mistaken. We're going through a second wave. There mm-hmm. has yet to be a second lockdown. I think they're just nervous about what that would do to the economy. Um, obviously, speculating doesn't really make a difference, but I don't see it getting to a lockdown stage, but we'll see about that. Um, but my personal experience during Corona, obviously, it has changed my plans. I was supposed to see family at some point. Not going to happen. Um, but socially here, I think it's been a really positive experience for me, which I feel bad saying, knowing how negatively it's impacted some people. Um, first of all, I'm just lucky because I'm a student, which I feel is a really good place to be at throughout coronavirus, because I think that it gave me something to focus on and allow me to be more goal-oriented every day. I think if I didn't have classes to go to finals to study for, it would have been more difficult for me to fill my days meaningfully. And this way I was able to focus on a goal and also add other elements into my life as opposed to just trying to push myself to do so much, like just trying to fill my time. Like I think it allowed my life to feel more balanced and more normalized also. And as for the social aspect, it's really crazy because it should have been really bad for me as in my I live in an apartment with roommates and my roommates all have family who live in Israel. Like they made all Mm -hmm. 11. So their entire family lives here. So they all immediately went home for the lockdown and I was left alone in my apartment for a few weeks. Um, And I was really, really nervous going into that. And it ended up working out really well for me because first of all, I think I am not, I don't consider myself to be so good at being alone Um, And I really, really learned how to enjoy that in moderation, at least. Mm -hmm. Um, And also, I just, it allowed me to realize the significance of friendships here, which I feel like kind of sounds cheesy. But I think that the feeling that I've gotten from a lot of people I've spoken to in America is that everybody has just remained very separate and physically distant from their friends at all costs, which I'm not saying is a bad thing, but I think that here... Knowing that I could have been alone, I felt very supported by people, that it wasn't just like 100% black and white safety first, and I felt very cared for. Um, Like I happened to be alone in my apartment over Pesach, and I was so scared that I was going to have to do the seder alone. And this group of girls who lived in the apartment building next to me within 100 meters, so it was not illegal to go to them. They invited me for the sederine, they invited me for all the meals, basically, and it just felt, and it ended up being an amazing Passover, and I just felt so cared for. Um, and then immediately after Pesach ended, one of my friends came to live with me for like three weeks, which was amazing. Like mm-hmm. she knew I, w- I would have been alone otherwise, and it ended up being like so much fun to be with her. And I can name like a million different instances like this, and I think that I just personally felt this sense of like camaraderie and like nobody being left behind and I think it probably came from the fact that we're all in the same boat like we're all olim chadashim we all don't have family here so it just felt very like nobody left behind we're all each other's family in this circumstance and I just really really appreciated that I think I've I think it's very much like 
person to person, like every person has reacted to the pandemic differently and has created like boundaries for themselves that they feel comfortable with. And it also is dependent on factors of like who they are around and, you know, if they're going to be around people who are immunocompromised and kind of like how that factors into, okay, like I'm not going to see this friend because like I have this immunocompromised person that I see regularly and, you know, I'm just going to play it on the safe side. So I think that definitely like factors into it. Um, What you mentioned with like whatever cost, like I think sometimes the cost comes with like if you have a friend that's very cautious around you, that it just makes you feel bad. Like it's, it just like personally is hurtful, like kind of makes you feel like a leper of sorts. And, you know, obviously it's nothing personal. Um, but it's just like something that I feel is very important to name right now that like, even though it's not personal, it can still be hurtful. And, you know, hopefully we can all just be mindful of like what is hurtful to people and like how to navigate that and talk about it in a way where everyone feels good. Yeah, I definitely get that. I think that it's so easy to take these things personally. And especially now people are being more cautious and you're right that it's definitely a personality thing and a, a context thing, how careful people are being. Um But I think that there's also ways around that as in, obviously, if someone is seeing their grandparents every day and not able to spend time with their friends because of that, because they want to be extra careful for their grandparent. um, I think that it's, it's still, we're kind of all in this together, which makes it really easy to disconnect and be like, I need to focus on myself. But at the same time, it could be the other way around. Like we really could be in this emotionally together and like, even friends, let's say, friends of mine who were more cautious would still maybe not have me over or come live with me, but they would call and check up on me every day. And I think that there there has to be, even if you're cautious, you could still be, you could still be, but you can do it really positively and, and in a way that's caring. Yeah, in a way that like you still feel emotionally connected to the person, emotionally supported by the person. Yeah, I don't think that Corona necessarily has to make people feel more distant from each other just because they're physically more distant. Like, I think if anything, a lot of relationships have grown because think about how much more you're FaceTiming people now than you were six months ago. Yeah, it's true. It's also like, I feel like I've just really, like, it's just a deeper sense of appreciation for like the friends that kind of have like really grown through this time like it's really nice to look back and think about like the really awesome things that are kind of coming during this time yeah I think that's such a good attitude and it's really awesome you feel that way like it's also crazy because it's such an extended period of time that you don't want to look back and be like oh I didn't get anything out of it as in yeah not that I think there's like a meaning to it but you can still like attribute meaning to it as much as it's a personality difference, how cautious one's being, I think it's also a cultural difference because right now I don't feel a sense of panic from anyone when I go out in Israel. And I don't even know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, because on the one hand, I so get it that people just want to be living their normal lives. So they're gonna make their attitudes accommodate that. On the other hand, it's definitely less safe. Like people are socializing here and hanging out and that aspect of life feels really normal. Got it. I see. So like, it's not even like 
you know, you see like the groups of people socializing. It's not like frowned upon kind of thing. It's probably not frowned upon enough. <laughs> like I know plenty of people who have been called out for like you're mar- you're wearing a mask. Why? Like comments like that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That is like not happening. At least also like in my circle of friends, I feel like it's just not really happening so much. Like I think I'm part of a more like um, socially aware group of friends. And like, I, I like, like to be around socially aware people in terms of like larger things in the, in the world. Um, Yeah. I also think Israeli culture is very much like they're used to a hard life and, you know, with the threat of terrorism, things are always kind of like, Israel's always like a little bit under threat. So like, I think that Israelis are resilient in a way that Americans might not be. I think also just generally Israelis are just chill. Like there's no way to put it other than that. But I think priorities feel different here. And just this sense of laid backness, I can't explain it. Like nobody's wearing a business suit to work. No one's worrying about taking a day off so they can hang out with their family it just I think it it just feels way more laid back here which I think has kind of translated into being a little less safe at the moment me and Leon had a larger conversation about moral decisions during this time and how to make differences between what's right and what's wrong to do during um, this time in the beginning it really felt like don't leave your house because it's selfish too basically and it it really stemmed from a moral place whereas now I think it's become such a new normal that it's just people are living their day-to-day lives and trying to figure it out more personally um like I feel like there's less of a conversation about the moral aspect which I guess could be a different stage to be in but I don't know it really is an interesting conversation you can do like a whole podcast episode about this It's confusing because like restaurants are open, which by the way, I've really enjoyed like going out to eat and drink, but like even that is like a divider because I know that like some more cautious people are like not comfortable going out to eat and drink because you're not really socially distant when you're eating with someone. And then like, why are, why is this even happening to begin with? So it's like, we're, the restaurants are open. We're given a choice to go to the restaurants to eat with our friends, but also like the ideal ideal feels like, oh, we really shouldn't be out here. We should all be locked in our homes. But like, there's a, there's a, there's no like right answer here. So it's hard to navigate. Yeah. I guess also if it's solely morality focused and that's the ideal that just takes out a whole element of humanity. Yeah. Like we need to be social, but also I guess there is a way to balance that. Like, I don't know. I'm curious. Like, do you think you've gotten better at being alone in this time? Um, yeah, I think so. Actually, definitely. Um, I spent close to like a month alone, um, in the past few months and it was rough, but like, thank God I saw people during the day, but like, I just think it was a valuable experience seeing how that kind of like impacted me. And knowing that I did that will also kind of influence like future times where like, I know I'm going to be alone. I think it's it's good to know that you can get through difficult moments. Like, first of all, to know, to have this like sense of self-efficacy that I can be alone if it calls for it. Because personally, before Corona, I think I was genuinely like scared or anxious to be 
alone for extended periods of time and to know that I can do it is really uplifting to me but also to know that um that also like there definitely were a bunch of times over the past few months that were just really difficult and really hard to get through but also I I just like viewing hardships as growth opportunities and just to realize that okay like it was difficult but think about how much I got out of that even just knowing that I could get through something difficult and that these things pass that that I'm stronger than I think I am I think those moments like like also the difficult times kind of got me somewhere in the end of the day yeah yeah absolutely it's also like when you're in it it's so hard to see this so like we just have to weather through it and then um, you know, that's only, that's the only, only when you go through it, can you really like after the fact, see what is good for you. Like, I often feel like when I'm on like a trip, like I have a lot of travel anxiety. So like, usually when I'm on trips, I'm kind of like struggling, but I'm also having a really good time. But oftentimes, like when I leave the trip, there's just so many good memories that like, you don't know in the moment when you're experiencing something how it's going to feel like to you later on. But then later on, you're like, wow, like, isn't it funny that one of my most memorable moments is like just running on the mountains of Arad, like in Israel, like alone, you know, like it's not the time where we had that big gathering or anything like it was just when I was alone. Like that was so like cool. the good memory for me. Yeah, it's so true of anything in life. Like, I think it's so interesting to think about how we're going to talk about this five years down the line. Because think about how you think about your high school drama now. Like, it means nothing to you, probably. Like, for most people, it doesn't mean anything to me. And it's just weird to think about how emotionally we're going to be disconnected from things we're experiencing now. So after this discussion, we return to our Aliyah conversation. And one thing that I've learned during my visits in Israel is that there are a lot of English speakers in Israel and that... When you move there, you can just decide to rely on that and not really immerse yourself in the Hebrew language. So my question is, why would you decide to immerse yourself if you easily don't have to and make your life easier? It definitely is a personality thing, as in there are some people who care about it more, some people who care about it less. But mm -hmm. for me, it's been really important. As in it was really important for me to do Shirut Lomi in Hebrew and to live with Israelis and to study in Hebrew because, first of all, this is just the country I live in and the language barrier I just don't want that to be following me forever um yeah and again this is really personal like I totally get why some people just like want to remain like kind of more I guess disconnected from this real immersion but I think it comes with a sense of just feeling comfortable where you are like if I'm gonna live here forever I want to be able to feel like I'm part of the community here and I've definitely had my moments of regret of like not going to the army because I think that would have been an ideal way to immerse myself um, and adapt to the culture. But mm -hmm. I've also, I've also definitely like found my own ways, like learning my degree in Hebrew, getting jobs in Hebrew. And I think for me, it also comes from a place of pride. Like this has been a big decision to make Aliyah, but it doesn't end there. Like I want to continuously make decisions that I could be proud of. And there are times where my Hebrew will just come out way better than I think it is. And I just feel really proud of myself. 
And then there are days where I feel way less confident in my Hebrew and it's not so good, but I think it's just a mixture of like wanting to feel comfortable here and and wanting to feel proud of myself. Yeah. Okay. So it's like also just wanting to feel like you're not kind of like using your English background as like a crutch because ultimately like you're going to have many, many moments when you're like surrounded and you need to use the language and like, you know, get it together. And the, you know, the more you use the crutch, the less you're like growing in that aspect. Yeah. 100%. Like if an Israeli starts speaking to me in English, I'll just respond in Hebrew because I don't, I don't think it's good to, for me at least to, to be leaning on that. And also I think, yeah, I think if, I don't want to limit my options. Then if I don't speak Hebrew, then I'll never be able to get a job in Hebrew. Like that limits me. Um, I still don't think I'm necessarily at a point where I can like move to a fully Israeli community, but I, I just want to allow my life to have as many options open to me as possible. One of the stigmas that I've strongly felt about making Aliyah is that there is this notion that if you don't make Aliyah at a young age, it will never happen. And so me and Liel talked about that. that. Don't. Um, get the whole perspective of everybody should make Aliyah right this second like all Jews need to be here because it takes any sense of context out of the picture and just I really get that it needs to be a decision in the right time like difference and some people aren't financially ready mentally ready emotionally ready socially ready and everybody whoever wants to move to Israel is going to do it in the time that's best for them because like, why Why wouldn't you set yourself up for the easiest or most adaptive life you could? And now just for some practical tips from Liel about Aliyah. Liel. First of all, it took me so long to learn that when Israelis are yelling at you, they're not really yelling at you. That's just how they talk. Um, I literally think that Israelis would, like, bring me to tears. But it's it's just, like, a cultural thing. And just try to take that into account if you're taking something an Israeli says personally. Um, mm-hmm. I think also the whole beginning of Aliyah is a lot of bureaucratics and, um, you, anyone going through it usually knows people who have gone through it and like, don't be afraid to ask for help. Like everybody's been through it. Everybody wants to help people who are newly going through it. And it's just like an annoying thing to deal with. It's just a little hurdle. And I think that asking for help is really important to get over it. And I guess this kind of falls in line with the don't be scared of Israelis yelling at you. But I think that personally, I don't know if a lot of people experience this, but I'm not a very assertive person. I um, tend to be a little more of the pushover type. And I think that in Israel, it definitely is a skill that comes in handy, I guess, in life in general. But specifically in Israel, I think that people are very can be pushy for better, for worse. And I think that assertiveness is just a learned skill and that if at first someone's here and just feels like it's overwhelming and they're not getting what they want, like you just have to push for you what you want. And it's hard at first, but it gets easier over time. You know, I always love to tie in dating somehow into the podcast because it's a very real part of life, as we all know. So I wanted to ask you, you know, one thing that we in America experience is kind of that the ratio with guys and girls is pretty uneven and sometimes it feels like there's one guy to six girls at a Shabbos table and it's just like hard because 
it feels like there's so many girls out there and like not so many guys out there. So I guess I'm curious what your thoughts on how that works in Israel and if it's similar in Israel. Well, I so didn't realize that people in New York also feel that because I've definitely heard that complaint here. Um, It's funny. I actually have a whole theory about it. Basically, you're definitely right that especially my first few years here, it would be like literally like 10 girls at a meal and one guy. Um, And I do think Mm -hmm. it's evened out over time a bit more, Mm -hmm. Um, especially like branching out into new communities, meeting new people. But my, basically, my theory is that um, when people make Aliyah, guys, it's mandatory for them to do the army, whereas for girls, it's it's a lot easier to get out of doing the army if it's not something that you're interested in doing. And mm-hmm. I think that as a result of that, a lot of guys really, really understandably wait to make Aliyah until after college until they can get an exemption from the army. So mm. I think that that kind of explains a lot of that disproportionate ratio for the first few years, like in the early 20s. I guess I, it, it's still there at some points, but I do think it's gotten a bit more even over time. I think that what's really cool about making Aliyah is that I just think for me, I feel like I would have been a different person in America because I wouldn't have had like this breadth of breadth. <laughs> whatever I wouldn't have had as many like opportunities to branch out and expand my both my social like break out of my shell socially and experientially if that's a term um and I think that mm-hmm. my life in America would have been a lot of like seeing old people from high school things like that and I think that that makes Israel really cool because your experience could really be whatever you want it to be it's not just dictated by like factors of the past factors of being home. And I think it's really liberating to know that like whatever you envision your life in Israel as being like, you can make that happen. Yeah. That's awesome. That's like amazing. Especially since I know that like, you know, I have my hometown friends here, but I dearly love them. And like, you know, I have my friends from college, but it's just different social circles that have impacted me in different ways. So I think the, the like starting on a new a new life and an, I guess not a new life a new starting on a new leaf and meeting new people is just a like a cool life experience to have and like a replenishing life experience yeah agreed 100% I think this has been such a great conversation Liel I so appreciate you speaking with me and I really wish you all the best in your job hunt and yeah just thanks for sharing all of your wisdom with us I'm so glad we did this. I really like talking to you about this. And I'm so excited for you to come whenever that may be at your own time. Um, But I'm really excited to see you here. And that wraps up part two of the series. I intend to have a part three. And I'm not sure when it's going to come out. There might be an episode in between that isn't Aliyah related. So just stay tuned. I hope you guys have an awesome Shabbos and that this episode provided some interesting new information for you. Tonight's so